And quite honestly, until even up until last summer, I was still so protective and scared. I was like, oh, I don't even know if I'm going to do this as like a full-time thing, right? Because I was so scared of walking away from a big job and a big salary. It's not a straight line. I'm Jordan Harding and welcome to the podcast. We're about to learn how people like you and I overcome career setbacks, pivot, reinvent themselves, and find work that aligns with their top strengths. Let's dig in together as we learn how these incredible people become the best version of themselves. Today on the podcast, I've got Michelle Robertson at Miss.Money and Math. Michelle has spent over 20 years building and enhancing finance functions across multiple industries, media, events, nonprofit, and technology. As a CPA, CA, Michelle always had what society deems as that well-respected finance job. Although she had the title and salary, there were times when she realized this may not be the end-all and be-all. In 2017, events started to occur that would lead to a career change in her trajectory. While at the MasterCard Foundation, Michelle completed a coaching certification, and it was at that time that she moved to focus her financial expertise working directly with individuals, entrepreneurs, and other corporate executives. This wasn't the only move that Michelle made, but we'll get to that. She's known as Miss Money Math, as I said, and she's also an avid cyclist. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here among all of your serious heavy hitter guests that you've had up until now. So thank you for having me. Well, I was super excited to to get into your conversation because when we initially spoke, there's so so many great things that I think you have to offer the audience and the listeners here. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I hope so. Um, I hope I can bring some value today about wow. the squiggly lines of my life. <laughs> well, that's that's what it's all about. So, Michelle, you know, I saw that you went to Western University. You know, my my dad and sister would love that you're a Mustang. You know, when when you were there and you were in university, high school, what potential did you kind of see in yourself? Did you have any idea where you might want your career in life to go? Well, you won't understand this, Jordan, because you didn't go to Western. (laughs) But um, when I was at Western, and I would even say leading up to going to university, I was very not focused, I would say. And I think the one thing that I knew about myself at that time was that um, I was always operating below my potential. So even through high school, I kind of squeaked my way through there and squeaked my way with a 70s average that I know could have been much better than that and wasn't, Um, took a year off and then went to school. So I just, I didn't have focus when I was young and it wasn't until I really somehow got a job at PricewaterhouseCoopers, somehow I got in there with a statistics degree with my um, minor in partying from Western. I got that was my minor. And, um, yeah, so I think that's the one thing I knew about myself. Maybe I knew I trusted as well that I'd make it work eventually. Right. But that I was just enjoying kind of being a kid, I think at that time more than anything. 
so you were able to get into PwC with the statistics degree, or did you have to do the CPA kind of coming out right after? Or you, I guess you did it while you were at PwC. Is that correct? Yeah, I did. So I I got in there partly because I had a girlfriend of mine from UWO or from Western that graduated a year before me. She was on a different track, but at PwC. And she just knew there was a department inside of their advisory services that would probably take me on quantifying um, insurance losses. So it was very not glamorous. And somehow, yeah, they hired me. And then it was really, they didn't force me, like say, you know, you've got to get on the CA track. It was really me that kind of woke up and was like, what are you going to do with your life? You're lucky you got here. So what are you going to do? You're going to need a little more than this three-year stats degree that you squeaked out with and your social skills um, to, you know, really take this career somewhere. And so that's when I really started exploring the CA route at the time. It was the CA route and they were fully supportive of that and and gave me a, a basically a full ride. Um, I went back to school. I had to take most of the credits. I didn't have any of the prerequisites. So I almost did another degree and then went through the CA process. Michelle, when you, when you think back to those original years at PwC or even some of the jobs you originally had, was there any, any key lessons that stood out? I've heard even the auditing process for a lot of people is pretty grueling. Uh, and I don't know if anything stuck out from that, but what was your, one of your first lessons or uh, aha moments in the work world? I would say that the one thing, um, and it wasn't until I got into um, broadcasting when I got over to CTV, and that would have been 2006 or so. So I was, you know, a few years now out of the firm, and I was like kind of manager level and I was business partnering, right? So I was like responsible for forecasts and budgets and helping business units to like, be financially successful as well as report up to corporate on how they're doing. And, you know, finance can sometimes have a real iron fist. And I think I went into those roles, um, you know, I was super tenacious, but I just had too much of a, an iron fist. And I learned the hard way that in order to be really successful in those roles with, especially when you're working cross-functionally, which as soon as you get into any kind of management position, you're working cross-functionally, right? Um, that, you know, you've got to like get people on your side. You've got to like gain people's trust and, and know that and ha- help them to know that you're there to support them and that you're going to work together. And that's going to ultimately make you um, more successful as opposed to trying to go in there and be like tough. And like, you need to do things a certain way. And then just understanding that cross-functionally, some of your business units are going to like take information in a certain way and bring it back to you in, a, in all different ways. You know, it's not like a one size fits all for everybody, like give them this template, they'll fill it out and it's done kind of thing. And so there was a lot when I got into those business partnering roles that I had to learn about the key lesson being it's not what you do in your job. It's how you do it. It's how you approach people. It's all about those relationships. We've all got the skills and the technical skills at some point, but it's how you approach and how you um, 
are respected and um, and whether people trust you and they can approach you is is really defines, I think, a lot of your success. Yeah, it's all about how you communicate with people and the team and, you know, how you bring that team together. And, and you, you said it, I think everyone's unique. So I, when you're in leadership roles, you have to make sure you're communicating in the way people on your team want to be communicated with. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, especially in a finance world, there's so much variation between um, people's literacy, even in a business perspective. And we'll get into people personally as well. But, you know, there's some people that, you know, they're really good with their budgets. They're totally on it. And then there's other people that just need you to literally sit down with them every month and hold their hand. And this is where you just, you can't have the same approach with everyone if you want to be successful and you want the company to be successful at what they're doing. So that was one of my youngest lessons for sure. And did you, was, were your parents in finance or in accounting or did you just look at it and you were good at statistics and you were like, you know, this could be a good path. Was anyone influential in picking that? No, my, you know, my dad was in automotive business, but like not in any way in finance. My mom's a nurse. So not at all. I mean, when I was graduating Western, I remember they had books on all the Canadian employers. This is, I mean, the internet was just being born. So I'm kind of dating myself a little bit, but you know, I remember literally sending out a hundred resumes, like I think by email, but like taking this book and being like, okay, I just know I want a business job. Like I didn't know what that meant. And really it was between PricewaterhouseCoopers and TD Bank. And, you know, if I'd went the TD route, I would be on a totally different path, right? Like I wouldn't have become an accountant probably because I would have been on some banking track and who knows where I would have ended up. Right. So, yeah. So it wasn't that I'm going to be an accountant. I knew I was good with numbers. I knew that I wanted to be in business, but I really didn't know what that meant. And luckily, I guess maybe by the universe that, you know, PwC is your path and the CA is going to kind of send you on a path and it's going to send you in a whole bunch of different directions, but that's the one that's where you're going to start. So and in a minor in partying, I, I know Western's good at that, you know, without getting into details, was there one venue or bar that stuck out for you in London? The Seeps. Everyone says the Seeps. <laughs> the, the Seeps, and I can't think of the other one over on that other street, the big club, and I can't think of what it's called now because I was partying too much. There you <laughs> the go. Knack. The Knack would the be knack. the number two. <laughs> all right, all right. And... You know, when you look at your career in 20 years, you know, you've got Pan Am Games, which is really interesting in there, the the CFO Center, Juice Mobile, you were the CFO of Juice Mobile, MasterCard Foundation. How do you now describe your career to people or how, how do you summarize your career kind of in corporate finance? Yeah. Um, so definitely when I've been in, I've spent a lot of time, obviously, when I was you know, wheeling my way around corporate in between jobs and thinking about making moves. Like, you know, a lot of people there, they get very industry specific or something like that. And I'm like, that's not you. And what I, what I realized upon reflection after, you know, and, and maybe some of them were by an accident really at the beginning was that I ended up, I'm a change agent. So I've ended up in companies where they are either going through immense change or growth. So, you know, when I 
started at the Globe and Mail, which then turned into CTV. I mean, let's think about the print industry. They've been in a change for, you know, 20 years. Um, and, and then television, the same thing. Slowly after that, it was like, how are we going to consume media now? What does that mean for traditional television? And so, and then, you know, really all of those roles kind of, you know, Juice Mobile was a mature startup, I would say, by the time I moved in there. So what I learned was I know how to build process. I know how to build process. I know how to change process and I know how to make it better. And so that's really why I think, and I'm good with change and a lot of people aren't right. So, you know, people want to like just things to stay the way they are. A lot of times that's kind of our natural, what our nervous systems want, right? They want things to just remain the way they are. So I think because of that, that's really how I made my way into these, these organizations. And so then when the Pan Am games came along in 2010, I started interviewing for that early and then I got it on the second go around. Um, and I've never let my boss forget it, that she didn't hire me the first time. When that guy didn't work out, I was like, should have went with me in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a very good friend of mine now. So um, she would totally take that. But, you know, for that, that was, you know, that was growth on steroids, right? You know, I was employee number 40 in 2011. And then by 2015, we had a thousand people. And then by the end of 2015, we had 20 people and finance bill is first in last out, right? Uh, you know, it was finance that winds down these organizations. Um, and so that's really what has characterized my corporate finance career is, is change and growth, um, and getting into these, um, organizations that, uh, you know, are dynamic and things are moving quickly, or they're just about to do something big, or they're in the midst of something big. So when I was at CTV, they had just acquired Chum and they were like, go clean it up, go in there, take your music stations, and you're going to push all the music stations together and clean it up. So take this publicly run company that was run like a family business mm -hmm. And, you know, at the time CTV was private, but very corporate. And, you know, you're going to jam them into a day close and a two day forecast. And, you know, and that's what we did for a year before we kind of at least until we got it all together. And that's how it started, really, the, the big change process. So. What was it like uh, working for the games were obviously a huge thing in, in Toronto. And I knew a few mm -hmm. people that, that worked on them. What was it like being part of uh, an organization like that? It was a wild ride. Let me tell you. I mean, it's um, it was probably the most intense job I've ever had um, working for an organization that, as I said, you are building, like, you know, I built the finance department, right. I was the number two and my CFO had responsibility for like technology procurement, like a bunch of other things. So I was her person for finance and, you know, so you're, you're going through all this growth and hiring and, you know, the whole organization is doing this at the same time. Right. And all the different functions. And it, it, it's not nothing I'd ever been through before. I'd never done an event. I mean, it was amazing to be a part of something that was really important for the region. I, I That was really part of what drove me into the role. I was really excited about that. And then I would say, 
you know, what I didn't know about that role at the time was that that was when I was right into, I was like, I was sort of a relatively new director and that is the place that I grew the most. And part of that was, you know, the role and the size of the role. And part of that was working for what I would call, I call her an ironclad CFO. She's amazing, but she's, she was tough and I had to be, you know, she just had very high standards and I, you know, I obviously appreciate that now, but I had days and it was just very, and I would also say working for an organization that is funded with public money. Oh boy. Oh boy. Like never again. (laughs) It's just, there's so much process that you have to do that doesn't feel like value add. So that after a while, really, I mean, by the the end of that role, I was very burnt. Like I was tired. I was really tired, Um, but I loved it. It was so great to be a part of. And I have relationships that have come out of that job, you know, that have continued on people that will be my friends for a long time. And uh, it was really fun. But like, you know, when they say the best, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Yeah. Like that's kind of what that was. And it wasn't, I wouldn't call it the worst, but it was, it was hard. It was tough work. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think of that, the complexity, because you've got, you know, the minister of sport and you've got the different governmental bodies, the sport organizations, you know, there's so many different parties. So, you know, you were at Juice Mobile, someone else on the podcast, Brad was also at Juice Mm -hmm. Mobile. You know, I think it was owned by Yellow Pages and it's it's about, you know, mobile ads, if I understand it correctly. You were the CFO there and you know, can you, you let me know, and I'd love for you to let the listeners know a little bit about, you know, what happened there at the end that kind of changed your career. And, you know, you said, I think somewhere that it gave you a chance to exhale. You know, what, what did you kind of mean? That? I think, you know, for me, it was the first time I got to, at that time in my career, it was really important. I was really in a phase of climbing the ladder and I wanted that title. And, you know, I had a whole lot of healing as a person that I had to do. And what, because of that, I, up until that point in my career, it made me very successful because I was like, if I have a great job, people will love me, you know, and I'm smart and I'm accomplished. And I mean, I'm still happy, but I have different reasons why I want to be accomplished now, if that makes sense. Right. Um, As opposed to, um, feeling like I will be chosen. So, you know, when I got to that role, I was like, it felt like a really big deal for initially for me. Uh, and yes, they were owned by the Yellow Pages. Uh, the CEO got fired my first week. So that's, that's scary, <laughs> eh? And Michelle, was that your first like big time being a CFO? Yeah. Did you go from yes. director or VP? I went to from- a yeah, I was senior director, I think by title at Pan Am, but my boss was like, you are, you are, have operated as a VP. It was just that it was the end of the game. So like there really wasn't a time or room at that point to promote, if that makes sense. So yeah, so we got there and new founder and he was super charismatic and then he got fired and all this stuff is coming out about how he sold this business and the yellow pages kind of got really screwed on that deal. And so, you know, they got to a place where they started to uncover things because he kind of kept the 
the doors really tight around the organization while he was operating it up at, you know, this is what I learned. And, um, and then basically they restructured, they, they were like, this thing's not making enough money. We're worried about it. And, you know, they have a massive organization. So they, they let a few of us go at one time, executives, you know, COO, me, CFO, they let the marketing um, VP go the month before, or a couple months before. And they were like, we're going to manage this in-house, right? We'll have someone over at one of our other media subs will manage Juice. And so for me at the time, in that seven months, I separated from my husband it was a New York minute marriage and I'm not trying to minimize it, but he stole our dog who was like my child, uh, which shattered me into pieces. It's like the biggest heartbreak I've ever had in my life. And, and then I lost my job all in the span of five months. And so that was just a crazy period for me of, you know, what, what next? And I'd never been let go from a job before. And all of the kind of, um, questioning that goes on about what was, is it me? Like I've always been so such a good performer and like, what does this mean? And why would I get let go? And, and then dealing with this loss in my personal life. And so this is when I, I, I mean, I took a good 16 months before I got back into a full-time job. I, I did explore working. I worked and I did have intention of working with them long-term, the CFO center. So I did sign up with them after about six months, um, doing part-time CFO work because at that time I knew that I wanted freedom and I didn't know what it was yet. I was like, I want to make my own hours. I want to have my own autonomy. Like and I couldn't totally articulate it at that time, but I, but I knew that, but, it, but when I worked with the CFO center, it just didn't, it didn't take off. And I was scared. Like, it just wasn't grabbing me like, oh, this is great. I'm loving this, you know? And, um, and then I, I got scared and I, I panicked and I was like, you got to get back in the job market. You got to get back in the job market or you're going to have this big gap in your resume and people are going to judge you. And then you're, you're screwed. Like <laughs> your career is over. <laughs> and, um, and then that's when I ended up at, at, uh, the foundation, my last, my last stop before, um, Ms. Money and Math. So so that was a wild time. So it was CFO of Juice and then the CFO Center after a little break. And CFO Center was part-time CFO work with some different companies. Yeah. It's like companies that, you know, they might need a CFO a day a month or two yep. days a month. And, you know, they want the sophistication, but they don't need you full-time. They might be trying to like raise financing or raise process or lots of different things. And so clean things up you know? Um, yeah. So I did that for a little while, not too long, maybe six, eight months. And then, you know, you get to the MasterCard Foundation. So now nonprofit mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a big organization, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a big global company behind it, obviously with MasterCard. During that time, you know, I'm wondering how you went from MasterCard Foundation and, you know, this trajectory as a CFO to, where you are now. And, you know, mm -hmm. this popular quote, I think Tony Robbins says it's a lot, says it a lot. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, life changes in a moment. Mm -hmm. and it's really a collective of moments. But, 
you know, what were those moments that stood out when you decided I'm, I've got to make a change mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I don't want to skip over like what you went through and we'll go back to it with you know, losing a relationship, a dog, which sounds like no offense to your ex, but the stronger relationship uh, <laughs> and, and, and a job now that you're past that, mm-hmm. is there any advice you can give to people that helped yourself when maybe, you know, it was looking rainy, it wasn't looking good. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you think back to? You know, when I look back to all of that now, I wouldn't change it, which sounds so crazy. I mean, I just set up this new laptop and my screensaver is my old baby, even though I have a new puppy, she's four years old, but I wouldn't change it because the, the sequence of all of those events in my life put me on a totally different healing path and like opening up my heart and just starting to think about my life in a different way and looking at what was my part in this and, you know, seeing my own patterns. And this is less about my personal life, um, but, you know, how you show up as a person in your, in your corporate life is very much linked to who you are as a person personally, right? And people say, oh, keep them separate. Sure. Absolutely. However, you are who you are. Right. And so, you know, people that are people that are hurt inside, you can see it when in their corporate careers. Right. They're not the best leaders. They're not the supportive people because they are hurt inside. Right. So I would say um, as hard as it is to lean into it and be curious about it. Um, And I will quote Michelle Ferrari because we both love her and she is change my life. Um, you know, like what is this moment in my life trying to teach me? Right. When, when these things happen and it's thinking about not, this is happening to me, but rather it's kind of happening through me. And what am I supposed to take away from this? What am I supposed to learn? What is the universe giving me this for? There's always a reason Right. So I think that would be the biggest one. And as I said, I'm so happy I'm at a place where I can say I don't regret it now. Like I'm, I'm happy it happened because I know it just needed to for me to get to where I am. And, and then at MasterCard Foundation, mm-hmm. like the, the moments that happen to the transition to who you are today, you know, mm-hmm. there's also a move I want to talk about. What, what happened there? What made you finally make that change? Yeah. So the MasterCard Foundation was never the right role for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I will say about it was that I'm grateful for the exposure that I got to Africa, which is really part of, I mean, part of why I took the job was I felt I really needed to take a corporate job. And I thought this one seems good. I'll give it a try. It wasn't like, oh my God, this is my dream job, but I was willing to give it a try. And I thought, well, this will be interesting exposure to Africa. And, you know, the support I got of taking the coaching, you know, and part of that I think is they supported me in getting an executive coach which was how I started working with Michelle. And I think through all of that healing, I don't know how I ended up taking the coaching certification. And quite honestly, until even up until last summer, I was still so protective and scared. I was like, oh, I don't even know if I'm going to do this as like a full-time thing, right? Because I was so scared of walking away from a big 
job and a big salary and all that, you know, safety, although I would say it's not safety. So then what happened was I was supposed to go to the continent uh, to work on a two-year assignment. And in the middle of all of that, I fell in love with someone at work who is based in Africa. So that helped my decision. And, and it was just, I was ready to do something totally different. Um, I've been in Toronto for 20 years and I thought, go on an adventure. You wanted to work internationally. Like you wanted to do this years ago. So I thought this is going to be a great adventure. And then the pandemic happened. So all of that got canned. And at that point, like last summer, I was, you know, starting to build my website. I knew that I needed to get out of this job and I kind of kept moving the, the uh, goalposts of when are you going to do that? And it was like, okay. And my partner and I decided I'm going to, I'm coming anyways, you know, we got to try this out. We can't try to date from two different continents. That's not going to (laughs) work. And so let's, let's give it a go. Come on over and we'll, we'll see what happens. And then the universe said to me, basically, I wasn't doing it. I wasn't making that step into this work myself. And so there was an event that occurred inside of the organization that several people were involved in. I made mistakes. Other people made mistakes. And I took the brunt and I was let go. And that was the universe, I believe, for me saying, it's time, Michelle. Like, you are in the arena now, like go and do it, go and do what you are here to do. This is not it. And you know that. So I'm two weeks in Africa, in Rwanda, I've moved, I went over there in September, people still thought I was crazy. You're leaving in the middle of pandemic. I'm like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) I never do anything quietly or slowly. Like this just not my jam. Things always happen to me all at once. When you said, oh, that's a lot of things. And I'm like, yeah, let's talk about the last nine months of moving to Rwanda, losing my job, getting fired, like, ouch, fired. Um, And then being like, okay, go be an entrepreneur now, you know? So I did get the nudge. I can tell you that the day that they delivered that news to me when I'd been in Rwanda for two weeks... The first thing besides shock that I felt, of course, you always feel a bit of shock when your job suddenly ends, even, you know, when they walked me out of juice and they're like, we're restructuring, you know, I was shocked, right? Was relief. Mm-hmm. It was, I was so relieved. I mean, I went through a lot of emotions for six weeks and like, oh my gosh, I'm over here. And I got one person that I know, <laughs> you yeah. know, my partner and I got no money now, not no money, but you know what I mean? Like no salary coming in and you know, how's that all going to go? But anyways, um, and so really I got pushed. It was like, go Robertson, let's go. You're doing this. And so, you know, I took six weeks and I just, you know, tried to process and, and breathe. And, you know, my partner was, uh, has been amazing through this entire process. And he was like, just relax. You're fine. You got living, just wait. And just until, and then I just started in November there was a day and I was just ready to start posting content on my Instagram. And at that point, I'd had a couple clients that I'd found by accident, really. Um, before that, like in the summer, a couple clients were, you know, my friend was like, she's a coach. She's like, my client's looking for a finance coach now. She needs training 
for her job, like more, you know, training her to be a good finance person um, in management at her company kind of thing. And I just started posting content and, you know, every day and it just kind of built from there. And I started learning from other people. And then I designed this program in February. I um, advertised it like on Instagram. I had, I grew my audience to about a thousand people pretty quickly. That's because I posted all the time and I got on there and I did all the things that these little 17 year olds on YouTube told me to do. <laughs> like, honestly, when you get to that point and you're like, you are 16 years old and you're, t- and you're telling me how to build an Instagram <laughs> following. Okay. I guess I'm going to listen to you and see if this works. I guess it kind of did. And then, yeah, I launched this, I would call it like a, a high end offering. Cause it's a 10 week mostly one-on-one. There's a few group group sessions where I take people through um, building a money system, investment strategy, retirement plan. And I got seven people that came and did it with me. I I couldn't believe it initially. Um, And it's just been building from there. I, you know, clients, you know, I had some clients in the winter time and yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's amazing. I I really like what you're doing. And you know, when you first were even thinking about with the foundation, you were going to move to Rwanda because you were doing it with them. How did you make that decision? Are you the type of person that sits there and you're going to write things out? Do you look at pros and cons or do you just kind of say like, I'm ready and I'm going? Yeah. You know, the thing that I had to allow myself to do with making that decision was giving myself permission which sounds strange because giving myself permission to go. And I remember at the time I was still doing my course, my coaching course. So I had all these mock coaching hours where I was either coaching or my um, colleagues, other students were coaching me. And so I would talk about this in these mock, these practice sessions that we did. And my, the hard part for me was, oh gosh, I can't go to the continent for love. Like you don't follow a man somewhere. Right. And then it was like, why not? Like you've been, and this is one of the biggest lessons I've had to learn is like really leaning into being supported by somebody else. I've almost been too independent for most of my life and too much in my masculine energy. If I can get into that a little bit. And I had, so I had to really like, I wanted to do it and I like the adventure of it. And I've been to Rwanda a few times and I'm like, it's hilly and beautiful. The roads are lovely. Like it's a riding Mecca. So I really liked it there of all the places on the continent, but I had to give myself permission. So I didn't, I might've wrote, I'm sure I journaled about it a little bit, but for me, a lot of it is I, I talk to a lot of different people. And it's not tell me what to do, but people will give you perspective. And sometimes when you're having those conversations, especially in a bit of a coaching kind of relationship, people will will pick up on things. Right. And they'll be like, what's wrong with you doing that? You know, it's almost like I just needed to hear it for myself. And then I was like, yeah, why? Why do I feel like I have to justify why I want to go? you know? And I mean, I did think, oh, it'll be a pretty cool experience from a life opportunity as well as I think I was still trying to convince myself that career wise, 
it would be great international experience. Um, but I think I quickly knew that, well, certainly when they canceled it and I was still working for them and my partner and I said, you're still coming. We knew that I wasn't going to stay in the job at that point. Like I knew that I was like, give me till the end of the year. Again, I was just like holding on (laughs) to something (laughs) Um, until I wasn't. So, yeah. So I guess maybe lists kind of, but I I often talk a lot of this stuff out. Yeah. And I love having all the different perspectives, right? Because people will just give you something different to think about. Right. And like, I'm not looking for someone to make the decision for me, but in this case, I just needed permission to be like, what's wrong with that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I I do that too. I like to get people's, people's opinions and, but you still need to make that decision, you know, for, (laughs) for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I made it in six weeks. So most people would say, or, or even probably less time. So I make decisions. I will say, because you kind of asked me that, how do I do it? I do not muddle over anything like I do, but not for long. And once I make a decision, you know, a a lot of people in my life will say, wow, you just something gets in your head. You make a decision about it and you go. And and that is actually true. So once I've muddled for the five minutes or seven minutes, then it's on or off. You spoke about, you know, wanting to be loved because of, your positions Mm. and now you don't have that CFO position anymore, but you, Mm -hmm. you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're an owner of your own business. How did you get through that? Do you have any, any advice for somebody who's in that finance job? And they're like, you know what, this isn't for me, but I need to do it because of X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, That's a tough one. I mean, my favorite hashtag right now is do it scared you know, and ready is a lie. Not that I took that advice perfectly. Um, I've embraced it since October, but you know, it does take a lot of courage. And I talk about it a lot with my inside of my, um, my following because whatever you're scared to do, you know, a lot of people are scared to try and get their financial, house together, you know, and even look at that and change their behaviors, or maybe it's, you know, your health, or it's always, there's always something that we're, we're avoiding, right, that we don't want to deal with. Um, and it takes courage to like open these Pandora's box and be like, okay, I'm going to deal with all this now, or I'm going to deal with what's my purpose. And so, you know, it's hard to know how I did this. I mean, I went through this worthiness journey from 2017 through all of that kind of Mm -hmm. those things that happened in my life and started to really go deep with that stuff with Michelle and, um, you know, just through like, what was my part and all of that. But I think it's about trying your hardest to like, see what is outside. But I think the biggest thing is courage and it's trying Mm -hmm. to connect which this is so hard. I've asked myself this question for probably 20 years. What is my purpose on this earth? Like, and I know we all ask that question. And then I'm like, how am I going to figure that out? Like, you know, and I think as I kind of got more conscious, like living more consciously, if I can put it that way, I think, I don't know. I think my heart and I'm just more open to all of that. And that's how it finally revealed itself to me by allowing it to come in. And 
you know, what I've realized is that I've been doing this finance, this personal finance coaching, um, unsolicited, um, and uninvited for a long time, (laughs) right? Like I've been doing this with anyone that will let me for 20 years. I just didn't follow it. And I didn't know, I couldn't see initially how I was going to make it my career. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm still building it. I'm not saying I have it all figured out, but I am, I'm still building it. And I'm starting to see now how, you know, I can make this into, you know, not a side hustle, um, like a thing. So it's a hard question to answer. Like, I feel like for me, it was a lot of circumstance and a lot of sitting still, mm-hmm. you know, and intuition, even though, you know, I really fought it in the fall, right? of like just jumping off and doing it. I kind of had to be pushed. Yeah. And and I guess what I was wondering too is, you know, is that gone now as you're sitting there building your business is the thought of, Hey, I need to get back and get that title. Has that kind of flown away a little bit? Oh, Oh, I'm, I'm so done. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, life is long, right? Life is long. I don't want to say never, but I have zero interest in right now in, um, you know, in doing any kind of a corporate job, accounting, finance job. I'm really loving this autonomy. And I think the biggest thing, it's not just the autonomy. The biggest thing is, you know, and I think when I started to coach and the reason I took this course was, you know, I obviously felt this need to like want to connect more with people. And what I like to say to clients and potential clients and my followers is I want to make direct, I want to stop making corporations rich and I want to make you rich Um, or just as a better human. But like either way, like I, a lot of what really lights me up about doing this besides how I love how it's, you know, really autonomous and I get to kind of run my life the way I want, which also has the whole like, Ooh, when's the money coming in kind of thing. There's, you get both sides. Right. But is that I get to have direct impact with people, you know, I get to see people be like, Oh my God. And like these systems that I've built that to me just seems so easy and straightforward to other people. They're like, this is changing my life. Like, this is amazing. This is what I needed. And like the light bulbs go on and people just start to feel empowered and excited about, and like, they're not in the dark anymore. And, and so it's been like, that's what for me really is so wonderful about this work, Um, which is why I'm trying to scale it now, you know, beyond one-on-one because I'm only one girl. So I only have so many hours in a week that I can coach people, right? One-on-one. So I have to, I got to take it further. But yeah, that's the part that, you know, not to say I didn't connect inside of an organization. And um, I have felt connected to brands and a cause, like, let's say, like Pan Am, I was very connected to what we were doing. Um, And I was, I've always been connected to brands, like in terms of, if I'm going to go and work, like for me to go when I took the job at the Globe and Mail, yeah, okay, that's a respectable brand. Like that's a that's a that's the best new, newspaper in Canada, in my opinion, right? So I've always had to believe in what my the organization I'm working for does. But now I just the impact is just so direct, right? And I get to like, you know, 
it's my paint. It's my, um, it's my art. Like I just get to create it. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. You you can tell you get energy from it and you have that personality, right. That, you know, maybe some, you know, I know a lot of finance people that do have a great personality, but, but others, you know, they don't want to interact as much with people or, you know, they're not the, the people type of manager. And, you know, the thing is after your career and how long it was, you could always go back to one of those other jobs. They're not Mm -hmm. going anywhere. What's, what's the, you mentioned impact. So miss money and math. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear, you know, how people can, can learn more. Yeah. What's the impact you want to make and how are you going to serve people? Yeah. I just want to, I want to be able to touch as many people as I can. So what I, what I have right now is I have this high end, I guess, kind of high end offer that is one-on-one and that is the right thing for a segment of the population. And then what I'm, what I'm doing with this membership is I'm going to teach, you know, the money system, like that I, that I teach my high end clients, you know, and it starts, it's, there's a starting point on looking at your net worth and then looking backwards so that you can go forward and make intentional um, decisions about a, how you spend your money and how much you're going to save and making those commitments, saving and investing and to help you build that system. And then I get to, I don't call it a budget because I don't teach a budget. I'm not, you have to build one initially, but I do not profess a, okay, you're going to create a 20 line budget and you're going to track that for the rest of your life. Nope. It's just, most people don't want to do that. So what I teach is this document that I have called my cash flow for my whole life. And you have to create the budget and then you figure out, you make the commitments to your future self, I call that. And then it's just about teaching you how to manage the rest. And a lot of it is fixed, right? Mortgages and rents and car payments and all that kind of stuff. It's all fixed. So it's really trying to help give people tools to like just manage the pot that's left as long as you've made the commitments to yourself. And I always point up when I do that because I think of that's the first thing we need to be doing. Pay yourself first, like pay your future self. And so, and then the big... I don't know if it's even bigger than the money management piece, but the the investing landscape is a black hole for so many people. There's so much out there. The financial institutions do a really good job of making it seem very complicated and that you need to pay a lot of people to help you. And you should probably go to the bank so that they can sell you a lot of their very expensive products. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, um, you know, and so, but it doesn't have to be. And so what I do, I'm not an advisor. I do not tell people what to buy. But what I do is I teach an investment masterclass, which is the landscape. It's the accounts. It's what the different types of securities, it's the different ways that you can invest in our market. And then in my one-on-one, I help people with an investment strategy. So I will look at their portfolio and I will tell them what I see based on what they've told me that is their risk. And I'll say, yeah, you know, this looks like it's probably, or you've said you're, you have a lot more risk, but what you're in is very not risky. Or a lot of people, you've got all this money sitting in this cash account. What are you doing with that? Cause you need to do something like now with that. And so I help with that. And so what I'm trying to do is distill that into a membership for so that people can self-learn and I'll do, you know, with videos and things like that. And I'll be doing office hours. 
Um, and then what I want to get this to the biggest thing, again, back to that connection and impact piece, I want to create a community. I want people to talk about money. I want people to celebrate when they're like, Oh my gosh, I bought my first stock today. Like I wanted to do that. Or I wanted to buy, I wanted to learn how to buy an ETF, which just seems like such a crazy concept. And I remember the first time I bought a stock, it was like, Oh my God, what am I doing? You know? And so I want to create this community where people are sharing and are pushing each other up as well as me, you know, being everyone's cheerleader, but a community supporting each other too. And so that's what I'm building. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a soft launch with some of my people that are really active in my community now. And then I will do a formal launch in a couple months with a more, you know, a very polished, um, somewhat polished version of the membership. Um, and so this way, I'll have like a high-end offer and then I'll have like a lower offer because there is a lot of people that they just, they're, they're not in a spot where either emotionally or financially, they cannot drop a couple grand on a, a program, right? Like it's just not in their ability. And so, but I, I want to help those people as well. You know, I want to be able to, I don't want to just be like, okay, well, you're a lawyer. Great. I can help you, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's why I'm, that's why I'm going to, that's why I'm doing both. Um, so I'll still do some one-on-one and I have a pretty active where I share most of my free content um, is on Instagram at Ms. Money and Math. If you just type in Ms. Money and Math, it comes up, even though there is a, a dot in there. Um and, you know, I'm on Instagram or I'm on LinkedIn a little bit, but I would say, you know, where I p- curate all my content right now is on Instagram. And that's where I'm the most active with my followers. And obviously when, you know, when this community gets built and I'm really excited, then I'll be more active there. And uh, yeah. And then for my members, I'm going to do, I don't do one-off coaching. A lot of people mm-hmm. come and they're like, can I just have one session? And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is, I'm not an advisor, right? This isn't mm-hmm. like an opinion, right? So this is coaching. So some of it is advice because I get that I have more information maybe than you do. And I'm a CA, so I've got tax qualifications so I can advise you on that kind of thing, but, um, to make impact and change in people's life, you need several sessions to do Mm -hmm. that. So, but I will, with my membership offer probably one-off sessions for them because they're working through all of my materials. And then this will be a way for them to crystallize it. So, so at Miss Money yeah. Math on Miss yep. Money and Math on yep. Instagram. And yep. by the way, Michelle, your content's awesome. Oh, uh, thank and you. the fact you're over a thousand followers already. Yeah, and I really 2000. almost two thousand. Yeah. I really like how you went back. You were watching YouTube from 16, 17 year olds. Cause a lot <laughs> of people are like, I'm not gonna do that. Cute. I got I guess a parting question before we go here. Uh, you said something I, I saw on your Instagram a day or two ago. And it said, you can't eat your house when you're old, (laughs) which I've heard many times it is true. But with the housing market going so crazy in Canada, Mm. do you have any any thoughts on on why you can't eat your house Mm -hmm. when you're old or on that? Yeah, I think a lot of people rely on, well, I've got this, if you have a mortgage already, right, you have this asset, right? And at the end of the day, that's wonderful. And don't get me wrong, I plan on using some of my equity to live in my retirement as well. 
but you still need to be investing. So there is like a balance. And I really, I said this to one of my clients um, this week because she came from, I don't know about poverty, poverty, but she came from nothing when she was young. So she is trying to break out of this mindset. All she's trying to do is pay down her debts, pay down her debts. And I'm like, you have to stop thinking about your mortgage as this ugly debt, right? Because I need you to start putting money in the bank too, not in the bank, but you know, you need to start getting your money working. It's great that you have no mortgage now in your house, but I want you to start investing as well. Um, So it's really just about a balance. And like, especially right now when money is so cheap, why rush to pay off the mortgage? You know, you'll do better in the market than the 2% you're paying on your mortgage, right? Um, But at the end of the day, in terms of the market and, or the real estate market and how crazy it is, there is no one answer. People will always come and be like, oh, is it like I have to buy a house? Like that's the best decision. There are so many like there's pluses and minuses to owning and not owning because in theory and i like to share this with people because often they just i think it's a very old school way right oh you you know and there's judgment there's almost this Mm -hmm. quiet oh you don't own a house oh you rent oh god right like what is that houses normally they they, the assumption is that they're going to grow two percent a year right the stock market has grown on average 8% a year for a hundred years mm-hmm. on average. I think it's almost 10. The U S stock market has grown 10% on average for a hundred years. So like, can you see the math here of like, there's nothing wrong with owning a house, but like you've got to pay all that interest. If you think about the interest you pay over all that time, the maintenance, you know, there is not one answer of like, you know, some people, economists would say that financially, if you had a half a million dollars, you could put that in the market and you might be better off than buying a house and then having to do all the maintenance that you have to do and the responsibility. And there's lots of good reasons that are not financial to own a house. And all of these decisions that we make are not just financial, right? So I just like to let people know that because it's been, I think it's from our parents' generation, right? Like you've made it if you have a house that you don't have to own a house, not just in terms of your success in life. Yo, and you know, a shout out to Michelle Ferrari. You mentioned her, mm-hmm. who introduced us. Uh, mm-hmm. She's helped us both with with tips and advice and coaching. And Michelle Robertson, thanks so much for uh, for your time this morning. Thank you so much, Jordan, for having me. It was an honor to be here. There you have it. Thanks for checking out It's Not a Straight Line. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and if you can, leave me a review, provide me some feedback, and I wish you all the best as you find your way in your career and life.